The subject for the evening talk is fixation. It seems rather essential with regard to the world that we are living in for any inquiry or examination of a situation that there has to be a looking at it from different angles and perspectives. And this applies to both our personal life, our, our social life and the very character, if not nature, of the world that we live in. And we see in the living in this world that the world, and therefore ourselves, is very much faced with a whole variety of issues and problems which confront us, sometimes very directly and sometimes more indirectly, generally according to where we live and the particular circumstances of our life. And in regard to this, I was um, reading recently, both in England and a little bit here, about an issue or a debate which is taking place between people who regard themselves as Christians, as fundamentalist Christians, and people who are conceived or interpreted as being um, secular humanists. And there seems to be some kind of debate, probably that's too polite a word, a flaming row, um, take, taking place in which caught up in the middle of this, rather unfortunately, are the processes of education and the very welfare and knowledge which is available to young children. And one sees how very easily when some dogma or other is taken up, it leads to a certain kind of fixation of mind. And within the context of that particular fixation, this easily is accompanied with it a certain intolerance, an intolerance to what is not in accord with that particular fixation. And so when one reads, and if I may say, reads rather sadly that such books are being questioned and heavily criticised simply because the title is called, as one of these children's books is called, People Need People, and that therefore this book automatically comes under suspicion because it's not a, a God-centred book, a, a Bible-centred book, a creationist-centred book. And we see this restriction and limitation around the mind. And similarly, of course, just as other groups and other people with varying views and opinions whether we may be sympathetic to them or not is not really, really the question here, but how easily, again, the mind identifies itself around, attaches to, builds up an intellectual, an emotional uh, basis upon, and that becomes the way things are. 
And so when we look outside of ourselves, let alone inside, when we look outside of ourselves into this phenomenal world in which we are living, we see the enormous importance which is placed and dependency upon the varying views which are adopted, cherished and upheld and what those views lead to in, re in relationship to the rest of life, to our life. So it seems to me for any examination or analysis of positions in the world, it's not only looking, I feel, which is what has taken place historically at the outer circumstances and what's fairly obvious to us, but also to the underlying psychological factors. And to give care and consideration to how one, the inner life and the inner world, is of such power and actuality that it influences and affects the world outside. But it's just a bit distracting when you're moving. Sorry. And so this background, the underlying factors, is a primal influence for the way this world is. And so when we speak, I feel, of getting to the roots of things and issues, the inner must be seen in context with regard to the outer. And I'm not saying in that that the inner comes first or that we've got to really get ourselves inwardly in order and, har and in harmony uh, and pure in order to be effective in this world. But I do feel we've got to look at the inner and its relationship to the outer, both with regard to ourselves and to the various other circumstances which are so prevalent in our suffering planet. Then we look and then we give care to our, the, our own life and our own fixations and how and as you may have seen today in the flow and rhythm of the meditation, how in order for there to be a fixation, basically something has to arise in the mind. To speak of it, one is speaking of a, 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 a mental or a psychological or emotional experience, and there's some basic actuality which takes place, then around that actuality comes the investment, the attachment to, the upholding of, the, the clinging to. And we find how easily with the charge which takes place, we gradually, through the investment, build up something until it becomes a fixation. And what we notice with ourselves and with these fixations, that when there is a certain intensity to them, there's not much choice about it. It's not as though you and I can say, well, I see I have a fixation, I'm going to drop it and live in the clear bliss of the void or something like that. 
but rather it, it comes up and again the underlying prevalency is of a kind of push which keeps upholding it and reinforcing it. And though you and I might say in our more noble thoughts, oh, I wish that wasn't occurring, I really need to let that go, there are more important things in life or whatever, it, as it were, gains a kind of, one might say, a life of its own. And it comes up and up. It seems to come up as regularly as the sun comes up in the morning and it keeps reappearing. Now sometimes one hopes, if not prays, that it will go away or that meditation will be the magical uh, cure for these fixations, which is sometimes a polite word for obsession or neurosis. And sometimes one sees that through a particular means or vehicle, such as insight meditation or whatever, there isn't taking place the change which one wishes. It's still there, it's an actual actuality, and it's causing pain and discomfort in, in one's life. And I would say, with regard to that, that as a human being, we have responsibility, obviously. We have responsibility to the world because we are in it and belong and part of it. And also we have responsibility to our own being, to our development and fulfillment. And thus, if there is fixation with the, all the charge and the grasping and so on, which accompanies it, then part of our responsibility is to explore and find ways and means to work with it. In other words, the responsibility is to see into rather than to keep ignoring. And it's this ignoring of in life, the unwillingness to work with, the forgetfulness of, which is of such an order that something will keep repeating itself. No matter how many thoughts which arise of wishing it would pass away, it will keep repeating itself until it's more clearly comprehended. In that, we might say, some of the fixations which we have revolve around the way that we view ourselves in a very sometimes habitual and mechanical pattern of undermining ourselves. Sometimes it may show itself in the kind of, or in particular kind of roles. And so what's our relationship to some of the major roles that we have? And in those particular roles, and of course we go through several roles generally in the course of the day, which kind of role presents for us the most difficulty, in which we sense we have the, the, in which is an area for us really to work with and to see and to learn from? Now, sometimes. 
particularly with um, fixations, though they can seem to be very solid, which is the uh, characteristic sometimes of the pattern, it's rather a, a false idea that we have about them. That they're actually built on very tenuous kind of ground, sometimes coming out of pain, out of insecurity or whatever, but they're actually upheld by a number of aspects of the mind. And so sometimes the whole edifice of the structure of the pattern and the fixation can crumble just through one small change. It's like a pack of cards. You take out one card and the lot collapses. So sometimes when we, when we see that we're actually fixed upon, we're obsessing about in some way or other to see, well, what effective and actual change can I make so that this pattern doesn't have substance to it and therefore doesn't have reality to it. Just as one person today in one of the groups, a very, very common uh, occurrence. Um, one person, I think if I remember right, is um, living uh, in uh, New York. Sometimes having been here, if I may say, so I'm coming regularly twice a year, in fact, now since 77. I don't know if this is more common for people from New York than other places. <laughs> but there seems to be a common denominator of wanting to be somewhere else. I'm not <laughs> quite sure. <laughs> so this uh, person was um, saying how easily that the mind um, um, obsesses about other things, other situations, other, other places and so forth. And as a result, where the person lives and the circumstances and so forth tend to be um, rejected, shall I say, or denied or, or, or avoided. And very easily there's, as we experience in life, a kind of pattern of doing that. A, a pattern, in fact, of steering one's mind away, somewhat compulsively, from the living present into something else. And we do it so frequently, we don't realize we're doing it, and we don't realize the effect that it has on the whole quality and our, our whole relationship to life. And when we live like that, you know, there's no peace, no peace of mind and, and heart, because a, a thread running through the, the fixation is there's something unsatisfactory, something wrong about the present whatever, wherever, whoever. And so sometimes shifting and learning to see more clearly into the present and the character of the present doesn't mean to say that one is going to be, you know, overflowing with love for New York and affection for, for it, but perhaps the heart and mind can acknowledge and accommodate and appreciate, so important is 
appreciate areas and aspects because one is giving oneself time to see. So these are just, shall we say, small ways, sometimes useful and effective, and sometimes it's necessary in this commitment to working on ourselves to sustain the commitment because some patterns simply don't budge easily. They're well entrenched, they're emanating from childhood, if not before, and it's part of this overall awareness in our life to say, right, these things need to be addressed as my responsibility as a person. And I would say with regard to some areas and patterns and difficulties with which we work, if a human being is spending five or ten or fifteen years working with one single pattern, I would say that's a short period of time. You know, looking in this way as a means towards the working on ourselves, and basically we might say that the various fixations which we have and the way that they manifest for us, some we might regard as being, as I've implied at least, um, unsatisfactory, if not psychologically, spiritually unhealthy, but again, too, there are fixations which take place which, in the motive of mind, very important this, in the motive of mind is very healthy. A healthy mind is a mind which cares more than just for itself. That is a, an, an indication of health, amongst many other aspects. And in that motivation towards others or creatures or um, envir environment, how easily too we get stuck in some way or other. We get stuck in a kind of compelling need at times to keep doing for others. And this easily is used to affirm ourselves in some way or other, but what easily accompanies that is pressure and stress. And it's not surprising, is it, that many and quite a number of you, a num number of us, need um, time and space and opportunity to clearly stand out of situations in which we are engaged in some form or expression of service to others. This kind of fixation, when, that, when we begin to get stuck in some way or other, we need to be picking up early. What are the signs of it? Is there more resentment taking place about having to do something for others? Is intolerance growing? Is a speedy, dismissive kind of attitude taking place? Are we getting increasingly more upset? Do we feel like withdrawing? Do we feel like becoming ambitious and really making it in the world for ourselves or whatever? When these kind of thoughts and, the f and feelings are occurring, 
then it's some kind of in indication to us that the motive of mind and the goodness of heart is being affected because we're getting fixed on what we're doing. And we don't have to be. We don't have to live in that way. We can serve and we can live more openly and spaciously. But it requires, Romeo and I, inner awareness. It is indispensable. In the mind coming out of, it, of its fixations and in, and in reducing the charge and the uh, investment with regard to what comes up, we may say that the re relationship to life begins to alter itself. The very view and perceptions undergo some change. And, and a, a characteristic of, of that is that the um, preoccupation of me and mine, M-I-N-E, the, the, the whole possessive factor which creates so much pain for human beings, being possessive about, that that begins to open itself up. And we might say that an aspect of our development as a human being is the movement of heart and mind away from a series of fixations or one or two obsessions in life towards seeing the fact. Seeing simply, seeing clearly. That seeing or that kind of observation in life is one in which you and I establish an observation and a seeing in life which in a very real way embraces the totality of ourself. Meaning to see is to see with heart, to see with head, to see with observation. What is it that we see? What is it that we see when we, when we look at this world and we look at the phenomena and we're just observing rather quietly and looking at with care? Sometimes, I would say, in the way that we look sometimes at this world, we say, I haven't got a fixation about, but it doesn't mean to say we see the fact. Because sometimes we note it, but it's just thoughts. It's just an idea about and We don't sense, we don't feel for. With regard to issues which are around us, issues with regard, with regard to ourselves. And the meditative process and all that you and I have been doing here today together is learning to see more fully and learning to see so fully that we lose the common wish 
to move away from what we're seeing. If we don't move away from what we're seeing, one of the things which we must see as a common factor for all of us as human beings is that that fact, that actuality which you and I are looking at has a characteristic of arising in time, persisting in time, passing in time. And a meditative observation is learning very clearly to see this fact. When we don't see it, I'm, uh, I'm still speaking fully, of course, and not conceptually, when we don't see it, the tendency of the mind must be to identify with what's happening. And generally, it seems like it's happening to me. I am like this. This is what's happening to me. My mind is like, like that. How long is this going to go on inside of me? Etc., etc. And so whatever is occurring for us gets wrapped around the sense of me, mine, I. And if you and I can just sit and learn and walk and learn through a, a clear observation, there is the mental field of experiences, the physical field of experiences, and the bare fact of it is it's rising, it's persisting in time, sometimes the attention is sharp enough that it's momentary, and it's passing. And even too, when we are looking and looking with care and just learning to see the bare actuality, a person might respond and a person might say, well, if I just see things rising and I see them persisting and passing and I see the, the unsatisfactoriness or whatever in all of this, somehow rather it means I won't do anything. I'll just sit here and I'll just walk, and I'll just observe this rising and passing. And so very, very easily what happens in our relationship to ourselves, that there is a reaction which takes place in which we don't see how much further and deeper we can go with observation. Let us take today, for example, in our meditations. If we just bring to mind for a moment something at the inner level with, with regard to ourselves which has come up, which has, has within it possibly a role of ourselves, um, an image about something, a memory or a plan, thoughts, feelings, perspectives, views, and so forth. In anything which has arisen for us during the course of, of the day, 
the bare actuality, the bare fact of that. Have we done anything else with it? Have we used it in any way to confirm something about ourselves or somebody else or a situation? Have we become fixed about it? Sometimes when we become fixed about it, it gives, I feel, for us a, a rather, a, in a way, I feel a false or imagined sense of security. And there is no real security in fixing views and positions and standpoints. Because in the next meditation, in the next day, in the next moment, we may be sitting and meditating and we may go to another level inside of ourselves, to a deeper level inside of ourselves. And that fixed view which we had said, right, I'm going to be like this or I'm going to do this, I'm going to say this when I see him next time or her next time or whatever, may change quite, quite dramatically. <laughs> because the level of one's consciousness has changed. And so what seemed truth and real and the correct right thing to do in the view alters because the mind has altered. And not surprisingly for some people it can feel very difficult. What's one going to do? What can one rely on in one's perceptions and views and standpoints? Is one just going to be under the influence of the predominant pattern and say, well, the predominant pattern, it gets its own way eventually, I might as well go along with it? So it seems to me rather necessary for us to look carefully and go more deeply into ourselves. And in going more deeply into ourselves, hopefully our consciousness and our perceptions is touched more and more frequently by the sensitivities of the heart. So that there is the bare fact of facts which are taking place in our life. There is the acknowledgement that we've got investment and clinging and fixations and so on and so forth. There is the will which says I will or I won't or I must or I mustn't and the hardness which at times can accompany that. But perhaps if we can just see those coming and going, see the expressions and the irregularity of those states of mind and the fixed views, and just let our practice open and soften and become deeper, and perhaps the response, the proper or the skillful and the truly human response to it 
is that which communicates both an awareness and a sensitivity. Because the sufferings and the pains of life come, come for all of us through the lack of awareness, through a forgetfulness of the sensitivities of being human, and through a kind of hardening which takes place in us. And so then there is the fact there is the observation of the fact, there is the heart's presence in the relationship to that, and the whole of our energy can flow in accordance with that. And you know, when we go a little bit deeper into ourselves and into the facts of life and the sensitivity of being which can accompany that, the extraordinary thing is, which takes place inwardly is that choices, to a very large degree, in the mind and heart's opening, the choices become not more, but less. The choices, in fact, become, in a way, a thing of the past. And so that there is the observation and the directness which can accompany it. So when you are sitting and when you are walking and in the time that you are here, and when something is troubling, as it may, please, if, if possible and if it is appropriate, Please ask yourself, what's the sensitive thing to do? What's the most clear, direct and caring action that can be taken? And if we can get something of a sense of what this means in life, the heart and mind is being prepared, I would say, for another order of seeing altogether. An order of seeing in which fixation and fact is not the substance of life. And though you and I may spend day in, day out oscillating between various degrees of fixation and fact and the heart relationship to all of that, there's an opportunity for us to see in which neither have substance. In which there is only the vast. And a person may say, may wonder, but surely, again, if there's only that seeing, 
what could one do? If one doesn't have a world of hopefully more clear facts and sensitivities to them and less fixation, how, how could one respond? But I would say, with regard to that, that it, in fact, it's the other way. When there is only the vast, the responses to life are effortless. And in those responses to life which are effortless, there's not the great divide and difference between one thing and another. And so the energy, the mental energy, doesn't get trapped and, and stuck as it used to. So let us see clearly. Let us see into things deeply. Let us know deeply the vast, out of which all things are in their place. May all beings see into themselves. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings know that which is without measure.